Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Tuesday the 29th of April. Well, today's episode of Small Biz Pod is all about freelancing ahead of a really excellent conference which is coming up in Lausanne in Switzerland on the 16th of May called Going Solo. Um, I'm really pleased to say it's a kind of a special edition because Small Biz Pod is a, a media partner with Going Solo for this event, which is really, really cool. Um, and thanks to Stephanie Booth, who we'll be talking to later, for linking up with us for this. So I've got some great interviews with some of the, the webs um, and social the social web, social media's uh, best and well-known um, bloggers, freelancers and consultants. So a lot of practical advice here and a real taster of the conference coming up, as I say, in Lausanne, Switzerland on the 16th of May. And because it's a packed show, uh, I'm going to be leaving uh, feedback from listeners and I've had an audio comment. I will play the audio comment next time. And which is, I've got several shows recorded, so that shouldn't be far off. So thanks for uh, the audio comment. You can send comments to alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. If you want to leave an audio comment, just uh, ring me up on Skype. Use the numbers on the, the, the homepage of the site or, or my Skype address, alex-smallbizpod, and leave a message on the answer machine. And I'll play your comment in the show. So if you've got a view about freelancers and or you are a freelancer, and you can add to thoughts here, or you're, or you're going indeed to going solo uh, later in May, then let me know. Okay, other than a classic piece of East German techno to conclude the show, which I will enjoy very much if nobody else does, uh, let's go straight into interviews. Um, and I interview, first of all, Stephanie Booth, who is the organiser of Going Solo. Um, Going Solo, you can find out more details um, on the conference at going-solo.net. And I talked to Steph about how she came up with the idea for Going Solo, why she decided to quit her job as a day school or middle school teacher uh, in Switzerland and go freelance as a social media consultant, and uh, how she felt about it, whether it whether it scared the living daylights out of her when she made that move. Well, uh, it was very scary because it's not something that I'd planned on doing. You know, if you'd asked me five years ago, uh, do you want to become a freelancer? I'd have said, no way. Are you crazy or what? Mm. So um, the reason that I did become a full time freelancer is that I was already a part time freelancer before that. Yeah. So let's say that for, for the last the year the the year preceding at uh, the end of my my teaching career, <laughs> if yeah. I can call it like that, um, I'd been giving talks and doing a bit of consulting on the side. So so I'd already started doing that, and I was enjoying what I was doing. Mm. And what happened at the end of that school year is that I had enough people asking me for work too many actually I had to say no because I didn't have enough time with the teaching yeah and, uh, and I thought well looks like there might be enough of this to keep me afloat actually were there then after after you know having established yourself were there then uh, concerns and uh, issues that when you were doing it full-time you hadn't really anticipated or that, that you began to oh, wonder about tons yeah um so the first thing was all the administrative stuff. I realized that I needed to start putting aside for my own pension. And then the taxes, so I had to find a, 
find an accountant because I realized that keeping track of all the things I was spending and doing the taxes was just going to be too much. It's not my kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's one that maybe on the technical side of things. And um, stuff I hadn't anticipated was like uh, when, I, when I finally really found myself a full-time freelancer, I just went a bit wild because, <laughs> you know, yeah. I could I could could work whenever I wanted. I could go, to, and and most of my engagements were rather short. It's not like I was, you know, I wasn't. My, my kind of freelance work isn't lots of hours spent spent doing things for a client. It's more like one day here, one day there, one talk here, one talk there. Yeah. So it's, it was a pretty it was pretty relaxed because I had enough incoming stuff that I didn't have to worry about, um, you know, pursuing clients much. Mm. So. I'd go out a lot and I spend a lot of time, uh, you know, going to bed at 4 a.m. and waking up really late. And, so you, and it was nice. <laughs> it sounds like, now this is quite interesting because it sounds like your work life balance. Normally, when, when people go freelancers, the freelance, and I, I can, uh, I can um, identify with this particular version of freelance, and they find that they're working all the hours God sent, and the, the work life balance really becomes a problem. Uh, in that you end up not having much life. You sound like you gained lots of life. <laughs> well, so that was the first phase. I went right. through many phases. Okay. So that was the first phase, and I ended up uh, being, you know, uh, really tired and yeah. really exhausted because I was uh, I was burning the candle from both ends. Okay, I don't yeah. know if you say that in English. Yeah, yeah. But, and then what happened after that is I went through a phase where I wasn't saying no. I ended up filling, you know, filling my calendar way too much and not at all uh, counting that, you know, I needed time, well, first of all, to relax, mm. and then to do all the unpaid work that freelancers do. And then I kind of found a balance. And then the next phase that happened was that the incoming work requests, well, they didn't exactly stop, but they slowed down dramatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's partly due to the fact that I, I changed... I changed what I was doing a bit and I did adjust my rates because at the beginning I was pretty cheap and that's also maybe one of the reasons I had all these job requests coming in because I was quite affordable. Yeah. And then I became less affordable because I realized I was underselling myself. Yeah. And um, and started finding myself in an area where I wasn't really that comfortable uh, negotiating rates and and discussing with clients and I didn't know how to handle it mm. and so during that phase I realized that it was important to do something to uh, gain more control on how much I was how much work I was going to do for clients <laughs> yeah I mean it's very it's very easy isn't it to uh to, to kind of have that kind of yahoo peanut butter issue going on where you yes. you get spread so thinly because you as you say you 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 either you have too much too much work on that sooner or later you, you don't have time to do the basics that any business does and okay it may only just be you but but the, the sort of business principles apply don't they yeah, you need to spend, and that's one thing that we're going to talk about at Growing Solo, yeah. you need to spend, to devote a certain amount of your time to networking and promoting yourself. And yeah. that's something nobody's going to pay you for. It's the unpaid work. Yeah, and rates need to reflect that that element yes. of the overhead, as it were. What this led me to, what I was telling you about, realizing I need to get more control on on how many clients I have and what work I do, mm. is actually 
one of the things that led me to organise this conference. It's an educational conference, really, isn't it? Rather than a kind yes. of uh, sit back and, uh, <laughs> uh, and and spot the pearls of the pearls of wisdom from uh, from on high. I think I think there are lots of um, inspirational events, especially in the social media area. Um, there are lots of evangelists and inspirational people who, who make you think, "Wow, yeah, I want to do that." Yeah, um, and and we need that. Uh, but what I'm trying to do with going solo is slightly different. Yeah. But the yeah. conference itself is actually really more about the the practical, useful, down to earth stuff that that is that you that's precious when you actually go solo. Mm, mm. No, absolutely. So um, in that way, in that sense, it's more educational than inspirational. Having said that, we, we mustn't we mustn't give the impression that the speakers aren't inspirational as well. I mean, you got some. I mean, Laura Fitzgerald. No, no, no. And, uh... so, so, so I don't think we're we're uh, running any risk of not being inspirational. No, 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 no. <laughs> what no, I absolutely. want to point to is that we we are aiming to be more than that. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those one of those conferences where hopefully people will come out at the end thinking, "Wow!" and also, "Hey, that was really useful." Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Okay, well, one of the, the great things about uh, the web um, and social media is the way in which new voices come bubbling up. It's a very egalitarian and uh, well, meritocratic place. If you've got something interesting to say, people very often listen, and, and you can end up with quite a lot of people listening, which is really great if you are uh, a freelancer and wanting to uh, develop your personal brand and, and get noticed and get valued. Um, and one of the uh, uh, the most recent, so I suppose, stars, particularly on, on in Twitter and elsewhere on the web, is uh, Laura Fitton. And Laura Fitton is here and one of the speakers. Uh, Laura, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Alex. Thank you. Um, you make an absolutely great point. I mean, I really came out of nowhere just about a year ago and have been given so many opportunities and so much chance to talk and listen and it's been mm. amazing. And uh, some people have, I mean, Twitter in particular has been important for you. Um, not everyone will be, well, but quite a lot will be familiar with Twitter, but not everyone will be kind of comfortable about how it works. And, and in some ways your, your kind of at pistachio name is almost more famous than your real name, isn't it? Um, it, it, it is. <laughs> How does that? A good job you chose pistachio, which is a rather nice name, rather than something less <laughs> <laughs> becoming. I don't know. That's so true. That's so true. Ha Twitter, tell us about it. Why? Why did you get into it? How did you get into it? How did you realise that it worked, rather than uh, than how many people see it as a bit of a kind of a? Uh, I think Wired are calling this stuff a time sink at the moment. Uh, what, what do you think? Certainly, certainly. No, I, I absolutely agreed. And when I'm speaking about Twitter, I tell people, you know, it is the stupidest application you've ever seen. And you will go through a period where you just don't get it. And it takes a critical mass, it takes some real connections, and it takes surrounding yourself with some interesting people. I have recorded in black and white on my own blog, um, saying, April of 2007, this is really stupid. I can't believe smart people use it. Mm. And then about a month later in May, I read about someone using it. And what struck me about how he was Twittering, he was Twittering a series of events and networking and meetings he was taking. And I found that really inspiring as a solo practitioner, home-based, mm. to be really surrounded by someone that motivated. He happened to be out in Silicon Valley doing stuff. And it's the oldest rule in the book, surround yourself with successful people. So that was really the first application that Twitter brought a lot to my life. And 
And it really, it did snowball. It does contribute a whole lot of different things. And I, and I really have a vision for how Twitter could be used to create a lot of positive professional development opportunities within businesses and for solo freelancers. Somebody has said, I, I'm sure I've read it somewhere, it might have been you, it might have been somebody else has said that basically all the work they get as a freelancer is now through Twitter. Is that you? Or, yes. I mean, is that, that real? Well, that's, that's me. Um, another person who wrote back in October of 2007, Twitter's paying my mortgage, is Marshall Kirkpatrick of the Read White Web. Yeah. And he credits not only, you know, getting lots of great articles with lots of great readership from getting early tips on Twitter, but his blog, last I knew it, had surpassed Perez Hilton. I mean, I think it's it's <laughs> pushing towards the top 10 of all blogs ever yeah. because he's able to get such fresh material through his Twitter leads. Yeah, I, there is that there is that extraordinary um, sense of being overwhelmed initially um, with some of the randomness as well as some of the, the depth on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you but- know? You know how people say their iPods get kind of psychic and the right song seems to come on at exactly the right time? Yeah. Um, Outside of replies and things direct to me, I see very, very few tweets. But the few ones I see, like if I go to the website, which is primarily where I use it, by the way, Mm. when I'm going to the website to look at my replies, I will see for a moment, I'll see my Twitter stream. And often in those first two or three tweets, there's something really, really valuable to me. Mm. And I just find that so funny given the randomness and the volume of what's coming in. Yeah, you you wonder how much serendipity you're missing sometimes. But anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have it as a kind of in G Talk, which, which sort of streams it all. But it, it's a bit sure. like a news feed. If you've ever worked in a sort of press room, it's a bit like having a news feed. You don't glare at the news feed permanently, but occasionally you glance across, and like you say, with a bit of serendipity, sure. a good something, some gem. Uh, pokes its head out of the, the stream on the river. Let's talk about your consulting then, and you, and you as a freelancer. Pistachio, uh, great name. Uh, wh- why why freelance? Why did you do, were you working for somebody else before? How did that change? How did that decision happen? Sure, sure. No, that's a wonderful question uh, for an audience of freelancers. I think my experience is fairly typical. I was laid off from a job, and at the time that I was laid off, that was two thousand and two. I had originally been with a startup in the cable television industry, a new channel that was attempting to launch both in the States and in Europe that was Mm -hmm. going to do weather differently and better. Um, I think the only real upshot of that in the real world was that the weather channel got a whole lot better after reading our business plan. (laughs) But so that didn't work out. I went to their lead consultants and worked from my home for two years supporting other cable channel startups. When that practice kind of ramped down its consulting, they laid me off. And I thought, well, I'm raising a teenage niece by myself. I'm working at home already. It would be awfully inconvenient to have to go interview and get a job in Philadelphia and commute and be away and not be here for this you know, 16-year-old. Mm. Why don't I try and see what I can do freelance? Mm. And it took a couple of years for it to shape up. It started out like, well, great. I did a lot of writing. I have a good understanding of marketing and business plans. I'll just be a freelance writer. And, of course, that's that's kind of a commodity. So the more I was able to specialize on the things I had really excelled at for years, and that was coaching people on really presenting effectively, mm. the more it was a workable thing for me to be freelance. And I was able to maintain it. It's been what, you know, the six years this fall, and I was able to maintain it through two pregnancies and, and complicated childbirths and all that stuff. So it served me really well. So uh, 
you kind of it was kind of a virtue of necessity but now that now the necessity is just a virtue is it <laughs> <laughs> exactly i would never go back yeah i i've had a couple job offers in the last couple of weeks and i thought why on earth would i want a job mm. how else do you go about getting yourself known i mean is online really the only thing that freelancers need these days surely you've got to get out there and see real people real real people not well real people's not the right word but see facetime get get yes, real meetings I, I think i think for a good online networking strategy facetime is absolutely critical and i have mixed up this you know i have a blogging presence i have kind of a separate blog that's really just a lab i do fun little projects there I have the Twitter and that's the, the constant thing and the thing I invest the most networking time in. And, and I can get into why. I think it's a really wonderful, natural way to just let a relationship develop. But I punctuate that with trips to, to major conferences where I know people I'm interested in knowing will be. Yeah. And that is, in fact, how I ended up uh, speaking at Going Solo is that I met Stephanie at Le Web in Paris mm -hmm. in December. So you really need to get out. I'm also very blessed living right here in Boston. There's an extremely active social media scene. If you don't happen to live where there's an extremely active scene, you can do your best networking online and then just pick effective conferences for you that are worth the investment and the travel. Yeah. Go and meet the people you can. The other tool I would say for someone who's remote is you play with all the different online video options. Yahoo Live, Uvu, Seismic, um, Quick, which is where you're streaming video from an N95. But especially Yahoo Live and Uvu create very rapid intimacy because there's face-to-face, -face, even though it's just video. Okay, another experienced freelancer who will be speaking at Going Solo is uh, Martin Roll um, from uh, Dresden. How did you get to be a freelancer? What, what was it that, uh, that, that made you make that decision? Well, actually, um, it, it was a mistake. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I never really wanted to become a freelancer. but um, So the, the story goes like this. I... I had started an internet startup during while I was still at university. Mm -hmm. um, the startup failed, so I, I got myself a job. Somebody offered me a, a, a job as an IT project manager, and I worked in that job. But the company, kind of the well, not actually the company, but the, the bosses of the company got into some some fight, mm -hmm. um, and I got very frustrated with my work because I I could not do anything. Every time I wanted to do something new. The, um, the conflict that was in the company uh, made it impossible to, to start off any, any new initiative. So yeah. I was very, very frustrated sitting there wanting to do things. So, um, but I didn't, but, but I, couldn't, I couldn't do it there. So at one point I just, I just ran away. Um, I, I quit the job mm. without having any idea of what I would do then. Going back to university was not really an, an, an option for me. So... Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, but then this thought came to my mind saying, so who, who am I? What can I, what can I do? What am I good at? Yeah. And I thought, well, I, I can, I know stuff about the internet. I can talk. So yeah, maybe I could become a consultant. Why, why not? Maybe I can be a consultant. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was all the plan I had. <laughs> right. um, and then I started calling up people saying, oh, well, here I am. You, you know, you know me a little bit. Um, do you have any any things that you do with the internet that you could use a, a me and my brain 
yeah. to, to help you with. And that's, that's how I became a freelancer. Um, what, what is it that su- surprised you about freelancing most when you, when you started the journey? Well, when I started, what surprised me was, most was how, how difficult it was. Mm. And, and then later, when I figured out how it worked, it surprised me how easy it was. Right. What do you mean so, by that? I mean, how, uh, w- w- what was it that seemed difficult to you at the outset? Well, at the beginning, um, I started off thinking that I know everything. So I thought I know how it works. I know my, my topics. I know how the Internet works. Um, I understand how companies work. So it should be very easy for me to fit in and, and help people. Yeah. Well, then it, it turned out I, well, I did know a lot of things about the Internet, but I did not know anything about how my clients were thinking and, and mm. about how they, are, they were working. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's actually beginning, it, it's actually finding a way of getting inside your client's mind while simultaneously being outside your client's mind. I mean, you're being paid <laughs> for, the, for, for, for that clever balancing act, I guess, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What what are you what will you be talking about at the at the conference as it comes up? Yeah, I'll be, be speaking about uh, questions of, of self organization and, and effectiveness. Yeah. How can we organize ourselves so that we actually get things done? Yeah. Yeah. Because one of the uh, one of the, the, the tricky things about being a freelancer is is the combination. well it's basically the, the 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 fact that everything is down to you in terms of how you structure your day and your time and your year and your, your you know the months mm. that that come about do do you find that online tools um interacting the the, the facility with which people can inter- interact over the internet these days um benefits or or distracts um actually uh, i find that very often they um, we get distracted by them. It's not really the tool that is to blame, that the tool is distracting us, but we are, we are not using the tools in, in very clever ways. Yeah. Uh, I'll be speaking about some, some different, different methods and, and tools that help you, uh, help you get organized and, and focus on, uh, focus on, on what you actually want to, want to get done. Okay, well, um, Stow Boyd is uh, a very well-known voice in the blogosphere and um, a long-time blogger, freelancer, consultant, um, knows a hell of a lot about the kind of social media space um, and he'll be speaking at uh, Going Solo and speaking on kind of the, some of the nitty-gritty subjects, you know, when, you, when, you, when you've gone forth to to live your dream as a freelancer and you suddenly realize um that uh actually getting the agreements uh setting prices negotiations are actually quite tough um stowe's going to reveal a little bit of his experience um in the conference but i thought we'd also talk to him a little bit too about um his life as a freelancer so stowe welcome to the podcast and um let's start with negotiation aren't freelancers in a rather weak position from a negotiating point of view well thanks alex thanks for the intro uh it depends i mean it's it depends it it ranges uh based on a lot of different things um clearly if you're uh, a freelancer with skills that are in very high demand like you know a really great let's say ruby on rails developer today or yeah. somebody with a you know a, a great credentials having been let's say, a, a very successful marketing person at a bunch of companies that did very well. Um, when you're in that kind of situation, you can sort of command uh, 
you know, basically the fees that the almost like the market will bear. Hmm. But the 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 horrible reality is, and this is why I guess I'm given the the task of sort of taking the hard side of this. Yeah, is that most freelancers don't start with that kind of uh, that kind of reputation. They start with hmm. you know promise they're bright whatever. Uh, their skills are whatever they are, and um, um, but no matter what their skills or ability are, they're probably not famous, or they may not have been you know successful in you know two entrepreneurial ventures or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they they have a very different situation, and uh, you know they you know people's natural tendency is to counter it with a couple of things. One is you know better marketing, so you 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 tell your story very clearly and get get your case across about how good you are. Um, and that varies dramatically. And then the other thing is uh, social capital, where people may, in fact, know the people that you know, know the people they're working with, may have worked with them, mm. or may have worked with friends of theirs. And, um, and that social capital is, you know, uh, perhaps just as important uh, for people's ability to, you know, make a living wage. As um, as being famous, um, mm. although on the other hand, if you ask me which would pick, I would say it's better to be famous. <laughs> but uh, if you, of course, if you develop enough social capital, that turns into fame, doesn't it? <laughs> um, or vice versa. Well, yeah, you know, you're yeah. relatively famous, like they say. If you're big in Japan, then everybody <laughs> wants to be your friend. So, yeah, um, the two are mutually supporting in this modern incestuous whatever it is going on on the web. That's for sure. But um, I, I characterize the, the work of, a, of, of an independent as having three parts. One part is actually doing the work once you have it and yeah. delivering value to the clients. And that's very important because that leads to word of mouth, et cetera, and, and maybe another engagement with the same clients. Um, the other two skills, one is networking. You, know, you have to do some kind of networking stroke marketing so that uh, people know you exist and that you're, you know, open and you have available time and what your skills are and uh, yeah. uh, they want to test out your head to see, you know, if you harmonize with them and so on. So social networking slash marketing is incredibly important and, you know, there's different avenues to do that, you know, going to events or hanging around with, uh, you know, for example, in San Francisco, you know, going to the, if you're a, a technical person trying to find work, uh, you know, going to the tech meetups and talking to entrepreneurs mm. and so on, and, you know. Yeah. You know, so the, the the flint and the steel uh, touch and sparks fly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, the the third skill is the hardest one for most people. Actually, it's uh, you know closing the deal, getting the money. People that become consultants usually are stronger in the other two, and this third thing is the one that's difficult for them. Mm. What do you What do you do to get your head around that? What do you do to get to um, get better at it? <laughs> Well, um, I you know I have I have built my own method up, but I, I basically can generalize, and that is you have to you have to you know think deeply about the philosophy of the relationship between someone who's a consultant and their clients, and um, uh, there's a real problem inherent in there, and you have to you have to work it through in order to in in a sense sort of uh, take the dangers out or the the, the the obvious conflicts out of that relationship because after all, if you boil it down to a sort of a zero sum game, right? Every time the client can negotiate to pay you less to get you to do more, they mm. win mm. and you're losing. Mm. Um, and so if you if if you focus on this on sort of a head on direct negotiation or rates for work and so on, um, it's adversarial. 
and yeah. uh, it's very problematic. So one of the th- it can be problematic. Um, what I what I've done is I've I've backed up from this whole thing and I've sort of changed the whole narrative about what I do as a person and what I'm after. Um, and so I I try to get people to agree with me philosophically about the kind of relationships I want to have as a independent working with companies. Yeah. And I start this discussion saying, hey, I don't want short-term tactical engagements with people. I want to pick a smaller number of clients and work with them over time, over a longer period of time, so that they can get the value of my my expertise, mm, mm. which requires a strategic investment on their side, but it also requires a strategic investment on my side. Well, to get there, we have to think about it at a strategic level. So it's yeah. not, you know, it's not just pennies per minute that matter. Yeah. So you kind of earn that ability to to pick and choose the kind of long longevity of your contracts, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that in general we're talking at least about a year's duration because even in this fast-moving world, it takes, you know, at least that long to go from like an idea to fielding a product, to getting in the hands of people, to getting some feedback, and start designing the second generation to see if it's going to go, take off, or whatever. Um, and so that's more, more or less typical. Uh, you know, things have a tendency to change. I've worked with some people, you know, for a year and then. You know they've gone off, or they've decided that uh, you know they're they're they've they've got sucked all the juice out of me they want to you know have. But um, some of my relationships have gone on several years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, at that point, you've built up. You, I mean, one builds up such a a reserve of of reputation um, that uh, that finding new work at that point should be um, relatively simple. Well, I've, I've invested, as you mentioned earlier, you know, I started blogging really early. I blogged, started blogging in 1999, and uh, the same year I coined the term social tools. And so I've been focused almost exclusively on the yeah. whole social revolution on the web ever since and, yeah. you know, have been flogging those ideas in public venues, my blog, and so on uh, for a long, long time. So, you know... I'm I'm deeply associated with those, so it's almost impossible for someone not bump into me if they yeah, say, yeah, "Oh, yeah, gee, yeah, we're yeah, we're yeah. thinking about building a you know mobile social game platform. Who should we talk to? Know <laughs> yeah. something about this?" Because you are you're you're one of the originals, rather than what Hugh McLeod would uh, would characterize as a kind of Web 2.0 douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, actually, it was one of the one of the high points of uh, my recent life was. Hugh McLeod singling out one of my recent posts as one of the top ten blog posts in his mind of all time. Yeah, uh, a yeah. thing I wrote about called the costs of being a creative. Yes, um, I remember reading. It was actually in response, writing about you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was in response to something he had written, which is probably part of the reason it yeah. warm warm in his heart. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, that's true. There's a there's a lot of people that are you know come come recently, but there's a lot of really really smart people that have you know gotten into a social tools, social media, the the social web, um, only recently, but that yes. doesn't mean they don't have exactly the right instincts. You know, Chris Brogan is a great example, or yeah. Laura Fitton, yeah, who's yeah. now known as Pistachio. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. People like that, they, they sort of, it's like fish to water, and they just get it and become very well known and have, you know, a huge reputation uh, in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, so Sue Charman Anderson recently got married. Double barreled yep. name now, which is good, is here. And Sue is one of the speakers. She's one of the, uh, certainly Britain's, Europe's best known bloggers. 
uh, and uh, has been blogging and a, and a freelancer and consultant for some considerable while. Uh, I know lots of people be keen to hear her speak at Going Solo. Hi, Sue. And um, you've always been a freelancer. You were, were you born a freelancer. <laughs> <laughs> it's starting to feel that way. Yeah, yeah. it's... Um... It's about 10 years now, I think, maybe even 11. I'm starting to forget what I did when I first started and when yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you started off as a, you were a music journalist, yeah? Or was that when you were employed? Yeah. Or was that? Hmm. No, I, I, I went from um, uh, working in science publishing to working at a contemporary music school um, and then went, took the plunge and went freelance as a music journalist writing. Uh, quite sort of technical pieces for things like the Melody Maker and some uh, trade magazines. Okay, so uh, that was that was obviously quite early on, in, I suppose, in your working life. Um, was it kind of just like falling, you know, a, a very easy thing for you to do, or, or, or I mean, how did you how did you feel about it? Was it, was it liberating? Uh, it was a very easy decision to make. Yeah, um, the the decision to not have a boss anymore i just found incredibly attractive mm. um i had started to realize um that i don't really do too well in a formal work environment yeah and um in terms of um career progression uh it wasn't the most successful <laughs> thing i've ever done uh i must admit i had a fabulous time yeah there's nothing you know more fun than going to a lot of gigs and meeting a lot of cool people but yeah. um i earned virtually nothing uh over the period of about two years and got to the point where i just thought you know this isn't economically possible anymore yeah yeah you know, all my credit cards were maxed out and um i wasn't getting enough money in to pay the rent and it all um, ended in in a great big financial catastrophe, um, and that's when the kind of the 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 fun of doing a job you love and not having a boss suddenly becomes the reality, doesn't it? Yeah, suddenly a lot less fun. Yeah. Um, I kind of went from that. In, I mean, I'd started using the internet uh, to do my research, so um, that was in the days when you could anybody really who knew HTML was a web designer. Yeah. Um, it didn't actually take any real design skills whatsoever. It just took uh, knowledge of nested tables. Yes. Um, yeah. So I did a complete about turn and um, started working as a, um, a freelance web designer. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, that all worked fine up until the uh, historic dot-com crash. Yeah. Which I was actually on holiday for. <laughs> so I came back so on holiday. You were out of the country when uh, they were at I the, was, the bubble burst. Yeah, well, I was just in my own little bubble. Okay. Um, I was living in Reading at the time and, and, oh. and just kind of chilling out after a particularly intense contract. Yeah. And um, he rang my agent and went, right, what have you got for me? And they're like, haven't you heard? <laughs> heard what? <laughs> Yeah, I lived in Reading so, for three years. It did feel a bit like a bubble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, the thing is, it's been a very bumpy ride, I, I, if I'm honest about it. It hasn't yeah. been easy. It's, it's taken me a long time to learn really how to get stuff done. Mm. And I don't mean that in a productivity sense. No. Um, I, I mean that in, in terms of figuring out just what all this freelance stuff is all about. I actually, I struggled a lot with things that like I'm quite introverted at times mm -hmm. um, and I really really struggle with ringing people up and 
trying to get work and you know closing deals and yeah. um, chasing for invoices and all that stuff I just find really quite difficult and I mean I guess this is this is part of the I mean a significant part of going solo's uh, kind of agenda isn't it is to 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 give people who are freelancing or who are thinking about uh, or going freelance the kind of practical some pra- very practical skills to basically make sure that they have money in their bank account <laughs> <laughs> which kind of really helps yeah, you know i mean yeah. the, the twice i've been through um total catastrophic financial collapse yeah um firstly uh, after the music journalism thing didn't work out so well and then um secondly after my i did an internet startup for a couple of years and that um that really didn't work out so well um and and now i look back on it and i kind of go well i know what i did wrong um but of course you know it's far too late um and yeah i had to deal with that that sort of being on the the precipice of bankruptcy twice but now this all this is all kind of very real real world freelance stuff but it's uh you're not sounding like a great advert for the (laughs) (laughs) the freelance life freelance life there is a very specific turning point that I experienced, yeah. which was um, when I found my peer group. Yes. Um, I'd, I'd kind of been, for most of my freelance life, I'd been not just an individual freelance, but also quite isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really... So when I was a music journalist, I didn't hang out with other music journalists. I would hang out with um, bands and crews, yeah. um, mainly their crews, sitting there kind of like going, ooh, what bass guitar is that? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was a, a designer, I didn't hang out with other designers. Um, I mainly at that time sort of hung out with script writers, bizarrely. Mm. Um, so my, my kind of, I never really felt like I had a peer group that I was part of a community. Yeah. And I think that all changed when I started blogging, which yeah. is like, God, seven years ago now. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly I was introduced to this whole group of people who, you know, they thought about technology the same way that I did. They liked the same sort of things that I did. They did the same sort of things that I did. And then when I went freelance as a social media consultant about four years ago now, I guess, Mm. um, I had this ready-made peer group. I had a group of people that could sense check me and um, that I could email and and, and even just kind of go for coffee with and have a good wine at and kind of (laughs) go, oh, I've got this awful client. And people who understood because they were doing it, they were in the middle of the same journey that I was on. And that has made such a huge difference. I've learned so much from the community, from people that I've met along the way. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't really don't think that I would be doing as well as I'm doing now if it weren't for all those other people who had coffee with me and, and gave me moral support and advice. And, and sometimes without even realizing that that's what they were doing. One quick last question. You're going to be talking, I know, about um, or addressing in part uh, the kind of work-life balance issue and uh it's kind of in a world where so many of us are connected which is a great thing um and and where you're a freelancer where saying no to work is also very difficult when it comes around the corner uh you can rapidly find yourself in a situation where work is your whole life um and finding any balance at all is is kind of being turning the computer off is a, a near impossibility <laughs> unless of course it breaks like yours have done over the last couple of days but how how have you how have you managed to 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 bring some kind of 
some sanity to your life in, in, in that respect? Um, I think certainly I've been on the wrong end of the work-life balance, you know, where I have been working ridiculous hours and, you know, six, seven days a week for months on end. And I really, I do know firsthand what it's like to be so exhausted from work that you're, you're physically dropping things. You're incapable of making a good decision anymore. Yeah. And after that experience, I just went, you know what, this is not happening again. Um, particularly over the last two or three years, I've become very possessive of my weekends Mm, and my time mm. off. Yeah. Um, and I think you, the when your work and your play are so similar, it yes. becomes very easy to blur the lines. But one thing that's actually, you know, uh, moving in with my husband, Kevin, mm. um, you know, when, when we were sort of a couple of years ago, we moved in together. And um, that really helped me because I work from home. He works from an office. So my day was bookended by him leaving and him coming back. Yeah, yeah. And, and these kind of little signals that tell you, right, your workday has stopped now. Go and watch telly mm, um, mm. are actually really quite important to build those deliberately into your life so that you don't end up just staring at the computer aimlessly for hours thinking that you're working but not actually getting anything yeah, done. Yeah, 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 um, absolutely. And spotting the signs as well of kind of incipient um, faffness, as it were. <laughs> I like that. That's nice. <laughs> it, it's very easy to kind of sit at the computer and do stuff without actually doing stuff. And there are these signs that I've spotted, that I've learned to, to spot. Like if I'm constantly flicking between um, Twitter, RSS, email, and I can have cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah. I know I need to kind of like get up from the computer, give it a break, go and do something else, or just like close it down for the day. Because I'm not, I, I may be clicking a lot of, you know, mouse clicks and, and tapping a, away on the keyboard a lot, but I'm not actually doing anything. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just kind of understanding your own relationship with your environment and your relationship with time makes it easier to kind of draw the lines in the sand that you need to that, that say, okay, this is work, this isn't. Uh, I'm very pleased to have with me now Dennis Howlett, who is talking at the conference. Dennis is uh, a former international tax and IT partner for um, uh, a firm of chartered accountants, but is is very well known online now as a as a, as a freelance writer. Writes for ZDNet, um, blogs at Acman Pro, and does a lots of other interesting stuff. Lots on Twitter, lots of blogging. You're pretty prolific, really, Dennis, aren't you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I live and die on the internet. <laughs> it's hard hard to keep up sometimes, but uh, you're kind of uh, going to be looking at, at going solo at some of the kind of nitty gritty. Um, accounting uh, money side of things of being a freelancer, particularly these days when people are, are kind of working on the web uh, and location is irrelevant in terms of where the work gets done. Location remains, however, relevant in terms of how you invoice, what currency you invoice in, etc., 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 and tax rules and regs. Is this really the the biggest headache for a, a modern web oriented freelancer? Um, it's it's one of the big ones. That is for sure true. Uh, you know, understanding what your um, tax position in different um, uh, geographies is, is is absolutely vital. Quite frankly, 
and being able to cope with the with whatever local system that you're you're dealing with. Mm. Um, for, fortunately, for most of us in in Europe, it's it's moderately straightforward in terms of things like VAT, but it's anything but straightforward when it comes to income and corporation taxes. Yeah, but presumably for most, I mean, assuming you are, assuming you, you, you're, you're registered, if you're a registered company, if you're assuming you're registering, registering yourself within the country in which you work, it should be relatively straightforward from a tax point of view. It should be, except that um, it's fair to say that most taxing authorities don't really understand the nature of, of virtual working at this point in time. Mm. So there's always this problem of, you know, how do you prove your income when you may, for example, be being paid in multiple currencies and across multiple bank accounts? Mm. So, um, I mean, to, to use myself as an example, um, I derive almost zero income in, in euros. Nearly all of my income is either US dollars or, or pounds sterling. So, you know, I have several choices there. How, how am I going to have that money come inbound? And yeah. how am I going to account for it in such a way that the tax and authorities can understand what's going on? You clearly worked for worked for the man, worked for a big chartered accountancy company, and so I don't know, I don't, I don't know how you uh, did. You get out because you retired and then wanted to be freelance because you wanted to continue to work, or did you make a conscious decision to go freelance? Okay, so I mean, I've actually been freelancing since I was uh, twenty five, so that's oh, okay. uh, more than so that's more than half my life. Yeah. Um, and uh, coming into the practice uh, as I did at the time was was really a matter of convenience in the sense that I was freelancing for those guys um, but I was doing so much for them that I was effectively employed Mm. and uh, and that created uh, a number of of potential risks for us as a practice so uh, that was how I came in as a partner when I left I retired Uh, I retired out of practice um, for, for a whole number of reasons, uh, not least of which I'd done what I intended to do. I mean, I hit that sort of big four zero mm-hmm. thought, you know, as, as as many people do, and sort of think, hmm, what, you know, what does life hold? And as it happened, I'd been I'd been writing anyway, yeah, um, providing sort of analysis and comment, and um, it was a, it was just a logical next step to move into into doing more of that, and it was at a time when. Um, the market was uh, was incredibly buoyant. I mean, we're talking about the mid-1990s. Mm. Um, it was very, very easy at that time to be a freelance writer. Um, and uh, most of us who were engaged at that time were doing very well, thank you very much. So, I mean, it wasn't a problem, if you will, from that perspective. Mm. Um, in, terms of, in terms of moving offshore, um, the reason that we offshored was primarily because I, I had to get back into the housing market uh, was not at that time prepared to saddle myself with an enormous mortgage. Not that I could have afforded it anyway. Yeah. Um, and it was it was it was cheaper simply to say, well, let's go live elsewhere. France at that time was an extremely attractive option. Mm. So, mm. you know, uh, even at that time, we're talking 1997. As somebody who had been almost wholly detached from the people that I was um, working for or writing for, um, it really didn't make any difference. It was just a case of, okay, come on, let's get on the boat and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, the, at the time, a lot of people said, when are you going to come back? On the <laughs> assumption that, you know, I'd flipped a switch somewhere in my brain and I was going on an extended holiday. But, you know, <laughs> that, that was never that was never the way it was going to be. Um, now, quickly, just going back to accounting, it, it, presumably you did your own accounts. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I, I mean, you know, as an accountant, I hate doing it. But there we go. It's got to be done. Yeah. Um, Would- would you it, it, recommend, Dennis, that basically most freelancers get 
someone from the profession, someone from some, an accountant to do their stuff? Or, or is that not necessary? Okay, well, there, there are two schools of thought on this. But uh, the, the first one is, is, that, is that you can do your own administration and should therefore get on with it, given that there are some reasonable tools out there now. that mm. didn't used to be. Um, the other school of thought is, is that um, administration is just a cost. And therefore, if, if it's costing you money or time, then you may as well hand, hand it over to a professional. Now, if you're based in the UK, then um, this is all fairly straightforward to deal with. If you're an expat, then you're probably better off handing it to somebody who's a local expert because you know, what you can never do is understand what local laws are when you're coming into it um, yeah. uh, uh, from, from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Um uh, the 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 various i mean if you're in your if you're in your own home country as it were the various tools whether it be the 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 kind of uh, uh the desktop accountancy packages or the the offline um cloud based uh sort of uh cash flow management tools that are increasingly out there those are, those those work do they well there's a reason that there's a reason that services like freshbooks which is based out of canada has gone from, I think I'm right in saying, 65,000 to 320,000 um, users in just over two and a half years. Yeah. Um, and that is because it provides an exceptionally good service for doing things like project management and billing, which is the, you know, that's the building block for you for, for getting your cash in for a start. Yeah, yeah. They've done an extremely good job of it. They've taken an entirely different approach to uh, conventional accounting and, and grown accordingly. Now, they have outstripped all the incumbent players in terms of growth, and there's every indication to that, that they will continue to do so, along with others that are coming along with, in the uh, in the field. Any other kind of practical tips for the the complete freelance accounting novice? <laughs> if if you if the if the thought of managing your own uh, billing in particular, billing and, and cash flow is just so important for for freelancers because we tend to be the ones that. Um, are not treated as well as perhaps we ought to be. Um, if there's any concern about that, then I would always say hire a professional to do it. It's worth the investment at the end of the day uh, because they can they can do two things. They can take the pain away, but they can also, if you've got the right professional, they can, they can teach you how to um, look after things uh, in a fairly simple and straightforward manner. So there we are, a little roundup there of all the speakers or many of the speakers who will be attending the Going Solo conference event uh, in Lausanne in Switzerland on the 16th of May. Do go over and check it out. Register for tickets. It's at going-solo.net on the web. It's going to be a really, really great conference, as I'm sure you'll agree from having heard those speakers. Um, there's a lot more practical tips and advice and just inspirational associating yourself with successful people. All of the people I've just interviewed are very successful in their own rights within the freelance and web world. So do check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it and learn plenty if you go. I'll put all the links uh, on the uh, show notes uh, at www.smallbizpod.co.uk too. So if you want more details, check them out there. We'll go straight, as I said, to going-solo.net for all the details. A bit of a mammoth show, but I think you'll agree a lot of really useful and interesting insight with some fascinating characters there. So I hope you'll uh, indulge this slightly longer edition of the podcast 
But there's always time for some great techno music, at least for me anyway. I know everyone else tunes out at this point. And I'm really pleased to uh, be able to play a track called Velocity by an artist called Raygun on the East German, uh, or Eastern Germany, I guess I should say now, um, uh, label or called, or te techno label called Night Drive Music. And so this is Velocity by Raygun. Mm -hmm. 